Good morning. It's great to see you all this morning. Welcome to you if you weren't here at the beginning. I understood that parking was a nightmare today because we have a big Remembrance uh, Sunday event going on in the town, but well done for getting here. Great to have you with us. Right at the outset of the service today, we uh, had a moment's silence to remember those that have uh, given their lives in wars to uh, protect the freedom that we enjoy. And uh, it really is that something we take for granted sometimes. Um, it's not something that everyone the world over enjoys. And I wonder if you, uh, like me, over this summer, as we saw images from places like Afghanistan on our screens, whether you kind of felt this kind of anger inside. I wonder if you felt a sadness and an anger about what you were seeing as, as parents were having to, to uh, take children and put them over barbed wire to try and get them onto a plane, to try desperately to give them a better life. I wonder if you kind of felt an anger inside when you saw those things. I wonder if other things that you see on TV make you feel angry. You think, how can they get away with that? Maybe you look at what's going on in Afghanistan. How can the Taliban get away with that? How can it be that they do those things and there are seemingly no consequences for them? How can it be that they might live an old life and die an old age and live a long life and seemingly be getting away with what they're doing? Maybe you think that about yeah, something in your own life. Maybe you've kind of been hurt in some ways. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were abandoned by some people. And you look on at the lives of those that have abused you or abandoned you and you think, how are they getting away with that? How can it be that they, there's no consequences for them, it seems? Maybe it kind of makes you angry. Maybe you question, why are they getting away with that? How, how can this be, Lord? Well, that's a question that has been asked by people throughout the centuries. It's, it's a question that's been asked by people throughout the Bible. And we see in, in the Psalms, these songs and poems right in the, in the middle of uh, the, the Bible, we see the psalmist asking questions like, How long, O Lord, will my enemies triumph over me? Where, rise up, judge of the earth, and come and bring judgment. We see cries like that. We see that again and again and again. There's a, a real hunger within us for uh, justice to be done. We, there's, there's a deep cry within our hearts for, for it to be a just world. Is there not? Yeah. We, we all long for justice. It's, justice is a major theme of so many of our um, TV shows that we watch, uh, film series like the Avengers and things like that, where we want to see justice. We want to see the bad guys get what's coming to them. We, we love justice, but we don't like the idea of justice coming to ourselves when we do wrong. My son uh, is six years old, and he wants to be a police officer when he's older. Uh, we've moved on from builder, now we're a police officer. He clearly hasn't spoken to the undervalued and uh, overworked police officers that are part of our church community here, but he wants to be a police officer. And yesterday, we were driving somewhere, and he was writing things down in a notepad. And I said, what are you writing down? He said, I'm taking down the number plates of the cars that are driving in the bus lane. And I said, I said, what are you going to do with those? And he said that when he's older, when he's a police officer, he's going to go and get those people. <laughs> and so you may think you've got away with it, guys. You watch out. In 20 years' time, PC Frank is coming after you. We long for justice. We, we want the wrong things in this world to be put right. And yet we don't want justice to come to us for the things that we do wrong. And as we continue uh, our series today, if we're looking at the character of God, we're calling it Surprised by God, looking at what God is like. We've seen that he's a God who has revealed himself to be a holy God. He's other. He's unlike us. He's a God who is, is wise, full of wisdom. 
He's a God who is unchanging. He's a God who sees all. He's a God who draws near that we might have friendship with him. He's a God who rejoices when one sinner turns back to him. God who experiences such joy. We've seen such uh, beautiful attributes of God. And today I want to look at the fact that God is a just God. He's a God who does what is right. We're looking at the God who does what is right today. And again and again in the Bible, we see that God is a judge. He's, a, he's the judge of all. In Psalm 96, in verse 10, it says this, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. He's, the, he's a God who, who is in judgment over all. He sees all and he, he, he judges uh, with equity and he will ultimately judge with equity. He's just and right in all his ways. That's who he is. No one's forcing him to be that way. It's not like a judge who in a courtroom might say to the defendant, I'm, I'm pained to send you to prison, but the law dictates that I've got to do this because there's a certain law that I must live by and I've got to do this. No, no, no this is who God is. He's not, he's, he's not, uh, his character is not affected by things outside of himself. Like gold is pure, right? It's, it's, you can't compromise it. It's gold. It'll always be gold. God is always God. And it's not like he's affected by, by things outside of his character. Justice flows from who he is. Our God is just. Now, some feel, or at least they hope in vain, that um, the kind of Old Testament emphasis on judgment is kind of dialed down in the New Testament. And some people kind of think, well, you know, God was kind of, he was kind of edgy, a little bit on edge in the Old Testament about sin, a bit, kind of a bit over the top at times. But in the New Testament, Jesus has shown us that he's cool with sin and that he's a bit more relaxed. I'm afraid to say, folks, this morning, if that's your hope, then you are, are wrong. You are wrong. This is not what the Bible shows us. It's not the truth that we're all just kind of destined for heaven. It's, it's not the truth that we're all kind of, you know, God will just say, you know, it's okay, you're in, no matter what. I've probably done enough. Maybe you think that I've probably done enough. If anyone's getting in, it's probably me. No, no, sadly, that's totally wrong. God's justice stands against sin. If we examine the New Testament, the second part of the Bible, even in a kind of cursory way, we'll see that actually far from dumbing down the matter of God being just and a God who will judge, it actually intensifies that. You, you might be surprised to see it, but when you read through it, you'll see that actually the, the message of God's judgment comes through even stronger. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at the words of Jesus, shall we? Matthew chapter 11, if you have a Bible with you. We're going to read verses 20 to 30. They'll come up on the screens around the room. Hello to those who are watching downstairs as well. Good to have you with us. This is what Jesus said. Verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, these are other cities, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. That's another word for hell. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, 
it would have, been, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that, if, that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the always existing fully divine son of God. And Tim reminded us last week that God's revealed himself in a few different ways. He's revealed himself through his creation. We can see the beauty and majesty of God's creation all around us. Look around you. This is, this is, you think of sunsets when you think of beauty, right? Look around you. This is, his, his wisdom and his creativity is on display. He reveals himself through his creation. He reveals himself through his word. When we, see the, when we read the Bible, God has revealed to, him, to us what he is like. But he's revealed himself through his son. It says in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. And so Jesus here, the always existing son of God, the image of the invisible God, is showing us that God is a God of justice. He speaks of a judgment day that is coming. He says, woe to you, to these cities. That's a word we don't use very much, but he's pronouncing to them, there's something really, really heavy and weighty coming your way. He proclaims to these cities judgment, and he even speaks of hell. This is the same Jesus who sat down with people who were outcast by society and had dinner with them. The same Jesus who lifted up those who, if you saw those people coming in the supermarket, you would happily give them some social distancing. That's the kind of people Jesus spent time with. He's the one who healed those who were completely undeserving to be healed. He touched those that no one else wanted to come near, let alone touch. He's the one who uh, stood up to the religious bullies when they wanted to stone a woman who was caught in adultery. And he said, okay. Those of you without sin, you cast the first stone. This is the same Jesus. And yet, here, he's proclaiming wrath and judgment. How can, how can wrath and, and judgment of that ferocity and merciful love of the, the immensity that we, that we read of and that we've sung of this morning, how can they flow from the same heart at the same time? You might be asking yourself, how can it be that a God of love could condemn someone to hell? And yet the Bible insists that God is both a God of love and a God of wrath. They don't conflict. These things actually establish each other. One without the other is meaningless. If you try to surgically ex extract all of the uh, descriptions of God's judgment and his uh, justice from this book, you actually 
have nothing much left at all. You attack the character, very character of God. The reason that he's a, a lover and the reason that he's a judge is because these things arise from the same source. They arise from his holy goodness, his other-than-us goodness. They arise from him. So how can it be that he could be both a God of love and a God of wrath? Well, listen, if you've ever deeply loved someone that is destroying themselves through foolish actions, then you would begin to understand something of that. Maybe that's been your experience. You've watched someone make foolish decisions. And you think, I'm, I'm watching a car crash in slow motion here. And you feel such an anger that they're going through what they're going through. You're beginning to understand something, something of what God feels towards sin. So we're going to, in the time we have remaining, we're going to look at how the fact that God is just is initially bad news. If we just kind of stop there. But we're going to see how it's also glorious news. And how when we take it to our hearts, the, the ripples from that truth actually spread out into the whole of our lives. And actually how this truth is actually very practical for us. That it changes things practically for us. So if you're kind of one of those people who loves, I want to know what the takeaway is. There's lots of takeaways today to actually see worked out in your life. So the bad news is this. As I said at the beginning, we all want justice for others when we've been wronged. But we don't want justice for ourselves. We, 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 we want to justify ourselves when we do something wrong. We think, well, they don't see what I'm doing. They don't, they don't see what's go, what I'm going through. If only they knew what I was dealing with, then they'd understand why I did what I did. Maybe you've heard people make that claim before. Maybe, maybe you've been uh, cheated on. And the other person said to you, Hey, you, you don't understand. You, you never really treated me like you should have done. Maybe they were defending themselves to others and saying, the reason I left was because they never cared for me. I'm trying to kind of justify. The reason people do that is they, try to they know that there's a judgment coming. And they try to justify before others, if they can, why they did what they did. Because they know there is a judgment coming. They know that deep down, deep down, they know there's a just God. So try to make excuses for what they did. And often people who are, who are most outspokenly judgmental of others and denouncing others for their uh, wrongdoing all of the time are often the, those that have in secret got some things going on that they know are not right. And they want to kind of uh, try and justify themselves by painting others as being really, really bad so they can say, there's people out there who are worse than me. And so on the day of judgment, I'm surely going to be above them in the pecking order. I'm surely going to be able to point to them and say, but, but they're much worse. That's often the case, I find. Now listen, the bad news is this. Jesus didn't come to lower the bar. He did not come to lower the bar. It says in Matthew chapter 5, this is what Jesus said. He said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. They can well, that's fine. Okay, we get, get on with that. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. This is, this is really, really serious. And you might think, okay, that's about murder and hatred. I don't think I'm going there. Well, let's just go to lust, shall we? 
A few verses later, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, you got that, Jesus? But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. Jesus hasn't come to lower the bar and say, hey, guys, it's okay. You know, God was a bit, he was a bit over the top in the Old Testament. I'm here to tell you some good news. The bar's been lowered. No, no. He doesn't come to lower the bar at all. Now, you might be here this morning and you might think, well, I don't believe in God. And so I don't take these, what Jesus has said with any seriousness. What you're, what you're basically saying is, deep down is, I know in my heart what is right and what is wrong. You're, you're basically saying, there is no authority higher than my heart. If you're saying, I, I, don't, I don't have any regard for God's word, I don't have any regard for what Jesus had to say, you're saying, I know what is right and wrong in my heart. But listen, there has to be an authority that is higher than the human heart. There has to be. Otherwise, it's your heart's authority up against the authority of someone else's heart. And what you think is right might not be what someone else thinks is right. And what you think is good and the right thing might not be the right thing for someone else. You, I, deep down, I, I think you know that there has to be an absolute right and an absolute wrong. There has to be. We're made in the image of a just God, of a God who knows what is right, who does what is right, who decrees what is right and what is not right. You know deep down we're not just highly evolved apes that have kind of worked out some things. You know deep down that's not true. And even if you want to maintain that you think that is true and that the authority in your life is just what your heart says is right or wrong, even if you want to maintain that, you need to understand the heart is so inconsistent. It is so inconsistent. What your heart wants in one moment might not be what your heart wants uh, in, in a month's time or a year down the line. It's so inconsistent. And what your heart wants and desires may be completely opposite to that of which another's heart wants or desires. But this is something of the spirit of our age. Deep down, we all know that this life is not an accident. You might be here and you, you might say, I'm an atheist. I, I absolutely believe that this life is, a, is it's chance, that somehow, billions of years ago, some things collided, and what we have now is complete chance. You may believe that, you may say you believe that, but I believe deep down, you're repressing the truth that there is a God, who, and there is an absolute right and wrong. We've repressed it as a society. And we've come to this thing of, well, just do what's in your heart. Do what your heart tells you to do. And now, friends, it's not even about not hurting others. It's about living your truth. It's about living your truth. Now, we, Sarah and I, we love the songs by Adele. Okay, anyone an Adele fan here? We had an Adele song at our wedding. We, uh, we had Make You Feel My Love, which in 2009, I think probably every wedding had. It was just one of those songs. And sometimes Sarah's tinkling away on the piano and playing songs like that. She's a, she's a national treasure. She's got an amazing voice, right? Incredible gift. And I read some things the other week as she released her new album that really disturbed me deep down. She was talking about why she'd written this album. And she explained that she's written this album for her son, who is very young at the moment, to explain to him why she left her husband, why she left his dad. And this is what she said. 
I wanted to explain to him through this record, when he's in his 20s or 30s, who I am and why I voluntarily chose to dismantle his entire life in the pursuit of my own happiness. It just wasn't right for me anymore. I didn't want to end up like a lot of other people I knew. I wasn't miserable, miserable, but I would have been miserable had I not put myself first. But yeah, nothing bad happened or anything like that. If I can reach the reason why I left, which was the pursuit of my own happiness, even though it made Angelo, my son, really unhappy, if I can find that happiness and he sees in me that happiness, then maybe I'll be able to forgive myself for it. Just listen to that. It's about the pursuit of one's own happiness. It's about, I'm going to live out my truth no matter what it does to other people. I'm going to do what I want to do. And we're shocked by that. And yet many of us here will know that's just been our story. We've pursued our own happiness at the expense of others, hurting who we want to hurt in the process. Maybe that's your story right now. We're shocked at that selfishness. Listen, it can't be about what my heart wants and what my heart says is right. There has to be an authority higher than the human heart. There has to be. We can't just appeal to, well, it just felt right at the time. Jesus sets the bar so high that we are all exposed. We're all exposed. For as mad as we may be at Adele's brazen selfishness, we've all lived out a selfish life. We've all put ourselves first above others. We've all chosen things that might hurt others. And before Jesus, in light of his words that we've just read, we are all totally exposed. There's no way we can stand before the judgment seat of God. We'll have no chance. We'll absolutely have no chance in and of ourselves. And, and if, you've, if you've never really grasped that, then you're not a Christian. If you've, if you've not grasped, actually, before the judgment seat of God, in and of myself, I have no chance, then you're not really a Christian. There's no way we can stand before him and say, I've done really well, Jesus. I've done so well all my life. I've made right choices. And there's no excuse that we can hold up that will cut it. We can't say, hey, Jesus, I gave five pounds a month to save the donkeys. I recycled. I got an electric car because I wanted to help the planet. There's no, there's no things that we can do and say, look what I did. We can't stand before the judgment seat of Christ in our own right and have any hope. This is the bad news, friends. Initially, very bad news. But I wanted to share with you the good news this morning. There's tons of it. And I, I believe as we take it into our hearts, it will change our whole lives. Let me reread the verses immediately after those proclamations of judgment to the cities that Jesus gave. This is what it says in verse 28 of Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, for those that have just heard Jesus proclaiming judgment upon the city, saying that there's a judgment day coming, they must be thinking, are you kidding me, Jesus? Because to put a yoke on something, you put a yoke on a, a, a beast of burden to kind of plow a field or you know, pull a cart. You think, How? I, Jesus, when I learn from you, I learn that I'm even, even bigger trouble than I thought I was in. 
Because I thought it was about being kind to people. I'm trying really hard with that. But now you're telling me that even how I look at someone is, brings judgment upon me. How I even uh, feel about someone in my heart can bring judgment upon me. Where, how can I stand? What Jesus is getting at here is not just about learning some things that he teaches, but actually casting ourselves upon him fully, not just in what he says, but in what he's done, in what he's done for us. He's the judge, but he's also the one who was condemned in your place. We've celebrated that this morning. He was judged in your place so that we read in places like Romans 3 that he can be both just and the justifier of those who believe in him. This is, this is what Jesus has done. He was condemned in your place. On the cross, as Jesus died, as he was gasping for breath, and as he decreed it is finished, he there was taking upon himself the just anger, the just wrath of God in your place. He was there, if you've trusted in him, he was there as your substitute. He was there where you deserve to be there, where I deserve to be there. That's what he was doing. For, he was doing it for us. Your sin, if you're a Christian, your sin was paid for on the cross. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the, this is the amazing exchange that has taken place. We hand over our sin and our mess, our disobedience to Jesus. He takes it upon himself on the cross, and in, in exchange, we are given a righteous standing before God, before God now and forever. This is what happened at the cross, a glorious exchange. And so Jesus' statement is not, learn what I've said you ought to be, but it's, learn what I've done for you. Cast yourself upon me, come to me, and I will give you rest. Rest from all your striving. Rest from, I can never be good enough. Rest from, I've messed up and I'm in big trouble. Rest because Jesus has done it for you. This is what he's getting at here. Come to me, I will give you rest. I've done it. Isn't it good when someone's done a job for you that you thought you are going to have to do, and they've just done it for you? Colleagues, just like, I did it all for you. Well, Jesus is saying, I've done it for you. I've done it for you. And it's in light of what he's done for you. As you, as you truly see that you deserve judgment, as you truly see that this is, this is no unfair deal here, this is just and right, you deserve judgment, and Jesus has taken it for you. As you take this into your heart, it's then that your heart is transformed. Listen, you don't change by pastors beating you over the head from a stage. You, you don't crowbar your way into change. You, you're cha you change as your heart is melted by what Jesus has done for you. As you see, wow, I didn't deserve this. And he's done it for me. And as you daily drink that in, as you daily take that into your heart, that's how you're changed. As you look to him, you say, wow, Jesus. You behold what he's done. He changes us. From one degree of glory to the next. And listen, this good news is not just the, it's not just the ignition. It's the fuel that's, that's, it's, it sustains us throughout our lives. It's not just like a, a one time, oh, I believe that once. No, no, this is the thing that sustains us throughout our lives. Coming back again and again to what he's done. We don't move on from it. He's done it. And it sustains us throughout our lives. We don't move on to other strategies that are removed from daily drinking in what he's done for us. You might be thinking, I need to change in some ways. There's things that I know God wants to change in me. Well, you don't have strategies that are removed from 
He's done this for me. And I just take it in deeper and deeper into my heart. We don't move on from that. And it's, it's, our heart is melted by what he's done for us that we let go of some other things. We're not beating over the head by law. So I want to ask you this morning, have you come to Jesus to find rest? Have you come to him? Have you come to the end of your striving? Have you seen this bad news? And have you embraced this good news? Have you come to celebrate it for yourself? You need to understand first the bad news before it can be good news. Otherwise, you'll never be melted by this good news. Your heart will never be transformed. This is why you, you can't remove from the Bible what it says about God's just ways. Because you, you remove the rug from underneath the glorious news of the love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. If you believe that deep down in your heart that you're good with God, and that if anyone's getting in on this, it's probably you. If, you're, if your response to first hearing the words, God loves you, is, yeah, of course. Of course he does. You'll never be changed. You'll never be changed. But if you only see the seriousness of our situation, the seriousness of our sin before a just God, and then you see what he's done for you in Jesus, your heart will be transformed. It will be the, it will be the fuel that sustains you for life. It will bring about change in your life. How will it change you? Well, it will change us in three ways. It will change us vertically, it will change us inwardly, and it will change us outwardly, horizontally, if you like. Firstly, it will change us vertically. As we, as we drink in what he's done for us, it will, it will change us as we see, I can draw near to God. That I can enjoy friendship with God. The, the subject I was talking about just a couple of weeks ago, I can know him. I can walk with him daily. And I, I can actually know a security that comes from my sin has been dealt with. I have messed up so many times. You have messed up so many times. And if we come again and again daily to the reality of Jesus has paid it all. He's done it. It is finished. We can know I can walk with God. I can enjoy relationship with him. I can have peace with God. We talked about that this morning. I can have peace with him. I can daily cast my cares upon him. We can have this security. Internally, we can know confidence before others because we're approved of by God. The Apostle Paul, who's one of the early church leaders... He spoke of being approved of by God. He said, I know I'm approved of by God. And therefore, we don't fear what men say about us. Do you know you're approved of by God? It's not like you've just been let off. No, you're approved of by God. God approves. You're mine, he says. You're my son. You're my daughter. You belong to me. Jesus says of you, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother or sister. <laughs> he says... He says, this is Uche, he's my brother. He says, this is Emily, she's my sister. This is Ivan, he's my brother. Have you met him? He, he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed. You think, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think if you were in a room with Jesus, you think he probably wouldn't bring you forward? No, no, he says, have you, have you met? You met Matt, he's my brother. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or sister. He's not ashamed to call you his brother or sister. 
And you might think, I'm so ashamed of myself. I'm so ashamed of what I've done. Jesus is not ashamed. He says, you're mine, he says. That gives us internal security like nothing else will. Some of you are deeply insecure people. And you think, I go into a room, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm going to try and impress people. I've got to try and have a power stance in some way. I've got to try and, imp- I've got to try and make people laugh. No, friends, when we know we're approved of by God, it changes us and brings us security. And this is what the, the world is looking to see, secure people who know who they are, who, they, who know whose they are. This changes us when we realize there's a just God who now, because I've been, I've been placed in Christ, because he's taken my sin and shame and he's given me his righteousness, I'm approved of by God. This changes us internally. Finally, outwardly, this, this truth shows us that we can let go of anger and malice. We can let go. We can forgive others. We can know rest. We don't need to feel anger towards others any longer. And you can only do that when you realize that no one is getting away with anything. We can only do that when we realize no one is getting away with anything. That God will do what's right. You can only do that when you realize that God is the judge. That everyone will be held accountable. And that either their sins will be paid for in full by Jesus, or that they will pay for their sins in full. There's only two categories. And some of you, you are holding on to anger. You're holding on to bitterness. And let me tell you, unless you let go, you will be bitter and ugly and you will become twisted. You will. When someone's hurt you and wronged you, and some of you have been wronged, you feel, it's right that you felt angry about it. It's right that you felt aggrieved by it. But you need to accept that God will do what is right. You need to, it says in Romans 12, leave room for the wrath of God. It's, he says, it is my, it's my place to judge. You can let go of anger. You can let go of bitterness. You don't need to hold on for the rest of your life. You can say, God, I trust you. I trust you that that person who wronged me will either have their sins paid for in full because they come to you and they believe in you and they trust in you and they get forgiven, or one day they will face your judgment seat and they will pay for what they've done. You can, you can, you, today, you can leave it with God. Today, you can, leave, you can say decisively, I'm not going to hold on to this forever. I'm not going to hold on to anger forever. I'm not going to be... Chewed up by bitterness. I'm not gonna, this is not gonna define me for the rest of my life because I trust God. I trust the God that does what is right. I trust that He is just. You can do that today, friends. You really can. You want to hold on to it? Or you don't really believe that God is the, the just judge. You don't really believe that He will do what is right. And you feel like I've got to hold on to this because they need to know what they did. And they need to feel what they did for the rest of their lives. No, you can trust God with it. What about justice and injustice in the world? Well, how does this intersect with God's justice? Those people committing atrocities overseas, God sees it. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't just kind of overlook it. No, no. They will either come to know their sins paid for in full by trusting in Jesus, or they will one day face the judgment seat of Christ and they will pay for their sins. 
So it's, it's right to feel aggrieved and saddened and angry about what's going on in injustice in the world. But listen, we can trust God. And we can pray. The world's, the world's response to injustice is to rage and be angry. Not so with us. We can pray. We can pray. Maybe you'd be tempted to moan about the government. I am tempted to moan sometimes. Sometimes you're tempted to rage against the government or against other people in the world that you think are oppressing others. Have you prayed for the government? Have you prayed for them? Have you prayed that they would, there would be many men and women rising up in government who would be working for God's right ways? Have you, have you prayed like, the civil rights movement of the last century in America was not perfect, but it was beautiful. Because what was at the heart of it was thousands and thousands of men and women who knew, who knew a truth, that there is a God who is just and right and who has made every human being in his image. And they took on oppression and oppressors with that truth. That every man and woman is made in the image of God. Racism is evil because it's an affront to the image of God in mankind. Every single person is made in the image of God. Why don't you pray? If, you, if you're troubled by injustice in the world, why don't you pray that that truth will arise again? That every man and woman is, is made in the image of God. Why don't you pray that the truth will arise again, that this world is God's and that we get to be stewards of it? Why don't you pray? Why don't you pray that God will raise up men and women in all kind of areas of society and authority who will work out God's ways? Why don't you pray that in the light of these glorious truths we've heard today, that just as God has shown us, us sinners, us, uh, those who are totally imperfect, just as he's shown us such glorious hospitality, that we might show it to others. People that have got, got nothing to offer us on the surface. We're going to hear in just a few weeks' time about some of the ways in which we're seeking to do that as a church. Well, welcome people in. People who might offer us nothing on the surface, but because we're melted by the goodness of God to us, we want to welcome others in. We say, come and have a seat. Come and have some dinner. Come and receive our love. I wonder if we might stand together. Maybe the band could be ready to lead us. It says in Acts chapter 17, I'm just going to read this to us as we close. Verse 31. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, will one day judge the world. There's a day coming, friends. There's a day coming where all will see him. And I want to know, what is your confidence on that day? How will you stand before him? Will you be able to appeal to some things that you've done in your life? Or will you say, Jesus, you've paid it all for me. I trusted you. A great writer from this last century, J.I. Packer, he says, God will judge the secrets of men not just their outward facade. He says, I can hide my heart and my past and my future plans from those around me, but I cannot hide anything from God. 
I can talk in a way that deceives my fellow creatures as to what I really am, but nothing I say or do can deceive God. He sees through all my reserve and pretense, and he knows me as I really am, better indeed than I know myself. God knows you better than you even know yourself. A God whose presence and scrutiny I I could evade would be a small and trivial deity. We will one day stand before a just God who sees all. Where is your confidence today? Can I urge you, can I appeal to you to come to Jesus? Can I appeal to you, can I urge you today to say, Jesus, I know that other than you, I stand no chance and I need your forgiveness. And I need your righteousness. I need you to come and clothe me in righteousness because I'm a mess. Will you come to him today, even as we sing? Will you give yourself to him? And others who are here, and you know already, I've, I've done that. Maybe you've, you've, maybe you've walked with him for years. There's two ways in which I feel that it might be some people who've got to respond this morning. This area of anger, holding on to things that you've just never let go of. Today, as we sing, as we, as we just stand in his presence now, you can let go of some things. You can say, God, I trust you. God, I trust that you will do what is right. I'm not going to hold on anymore. I trust that you will do what is right. Maybe that's, you just need to do some business with God this morning. Walk out of here totally unburdened. I had this image as I was uh, getting ready this morning of a, a roof being lifted off a house. And it's been a, you've, you had this roof on that is so heavy that the pillars are starting to crumble. And God's going to remove that and put on a much lighter roof today. That's your life, where you're going to know a a burden lifted off this morning as you say, God, I trust you are the God who will do what is right. It's one way in which I believe that people are going to respond today. And then I believe that there's some who just know I'm insecure. I, 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 I try my best to put on a good front, but I'm so insecure. I believe that there's some people today who you just need to acknowledge the truth before God today. Thank you, Lord, I'm approved of by you. Thank you that, Jesus, you don't, you're not ashamed to call me brother. And as you do that today, it's going to bring some security. It's something we're going to walk in the good of day by day. But he's going to do some things in your heart in that way today. There will come a time at the end of all history where the the saved people of God will gather together in multitudes and they will say to God, just and true are all your ways. Revelation 15. You're just and true in all your ways. Millennia and millennia of history. If we live for that long, we'd we'd rack up a whole mountain of mistakes. Not one from our God. Just and true in all his ways. Thank you, Lord. Would you come and move amongst us now, we pray, as we respond to you. Amen.